Lindsay McCall from Paringa Estate. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning. We uh, we haven't had you on for a little while, and uh, I apologise for that. But it's great that we've got you now, and um, looking forward to hearing how everything's going on the Mornington Peninsula and um, that's, and that's where, where you are. are, there, are, are a lot, there are a lot of wineries both on the Mornington Peninsula, being Victoria and Australia for that matter. So. Uh, you can't expect to be on the radio every day. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but we do appreciate the time. So, uh, Lindsay, we've um, we've actually just been down in South Australia with uh, McLaren Vale and Barossa. So how is uh, Vintage 23 shaping up for Mornington? Pretty well. Um, the only downer is uh, yields us once again not what we would have hoped they would have been. The, mm. the vineyards in the lower areas and the warmer, more northern parts of the Mornington Peninsula, I think, have got uh, quite good crops um, because they flowered a little bit earlier. The vineyards up the hill more where we're a little cooler. Uh, we got some some rain and cooler weather at the end of uh, November, which affected our flowering again. That's the third mm-hmm. year in a row. Um, right. But the yields are, I think, I think for most people are better than last year, which was really, really bad. So... Uh, yeah. There are some positives and it's an early season, so things mm. will definitely ripen. And so I think from a quality point of view, we're, we're looking at uh, producing some great wines this year. Well, that's good to hear because, you know, we, we have just had um, a couple of people on saying the same thing in the sense of um, that, uh, you know, yields are lower uh, than um, than hoped, but the quality's there. So that's uh, that, that's always a massive bonus. Um, mm. And you're in a very, like, uh, the actual Paringa estate is in, I was actually there back in May, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get uh, there later. You're actually in quite a special little microclimate uh, position yourself within the Mornington. Is that right? Uh, yes, we are. We're um, we're we're up. We we classify ourselves as up up the hill. We're about 140 to 150 metres above sea level. So some of the lower ones are 10 and 20 metres above sea level. Mm. Uh, so that classifies us as cool. But we've got this little amphitheatre facing north, um, and we're protected from the westerly winds and, and even the southerlies for that matter. Um, so flowering and fruit set on my own vineyard here has been quite good. We're, we're, we're lucky. And we have another vineyard further down Paringa Road, which has got a very similar location, and the crops there are very good as well. It's more other vineyards that we have that are more exposed to the west and to winds uh, that have suffered. So, um, yeah, Paringa, my, my home uh, single vineyard site is, uh, is very, very special, yes. I'm guessing in that warmer, little uh, warmer region you mentioned, that's where you're, you'd be planting the Viognier. Sorry, the warmer vineyard. Yes, uh, we, the, the, yes, the warmer part. Mm. Yeah, I, I get my Viognier from uh, the Robinson Vineyard, which is in Turong. I've been okay. buying fruit from Hugh for 20 years or so, and he, he's got a small block of Viognier. We, we, we haven't got it up the hill here, no. Right, because I, I love your Viognier. I actually bought. Um, uh, six bottles of it uh, when I was there last time. We had one last right. week, and it's just beautiful. I think it was a twenty-one. So uh, that was yeah. that was kind of one of my faves. Yes, we we sort of make it. Um, we try and avoid the oily, the oily sort of style of Yonya that mm. you see quite a bit. So we try and make it crisp, crisp and clean. It's it's all barrel fermented, so it's 
really made like Chardonnay, but I think it's when it's really the acid level and the balance that we look for in the wine. And yeah, I think we've got got things going pretty well with Viognier. I, I believe you have small, it's, it's, small, not... it's, a, it's a small part of our production, mind you. But, mm. uh, sure. That's it's. Then we put it in uh, our um, Peninsula Shiraz as well. That's that's really the main reason Viognier was planted to co-ferment mm. with Shiraz and the the additional extra fruit. Then we make into a table wine. And the, the Robinson oh. Vineyard um, that you get some Pinot from there as well, don't you? Pinot Noir. We do. We do. We get um, quite a bit of Pinot from there and small amount of Chardonnay and some Shiraz as well. How far is Turong from from your home block in kilometres? Uh, it's about uh, a 20-minute drive mm. down the hill and slightly up the freeway heading towards Frankston. So um, how would you define the, the two sort of microclimates, I guess, of, of those of the uh, sub-regions? They're very different. Yeah. Um, Turong is... Um, as I said, it's it's closer to sea level. It's and as a consequence, it's warmer. Uh, Hugh's got a, um, a terrific site there, and on with various aspects as well. Um, being warmer means they flower earlier, which means they grow earlier, and we harvest earlier. So the the way that that vineyard works for us is we pick it before we pick up the hill. So I've only got a fairly small winery. So most of all of Hugh's Pinot comes off his property in the two weeks or so before we start up here. And yeah, right. um, so we're able to sort of uh, um, manage, and that and, that and that helps. That helps with uh, sort of varying uh, seasons as well. Sometimes uh, Turong is affected by flowering or other issues, and and we're not up here. And sometimes uh, they're not, so that they're in a better position this year than we are. So it helps sort of smooth out the, the seasonal uh, difficulties, shall I say? Mm. Mm. Um, it's a, now you, the restaurant uh, that you've got there. Um, it's got a fantastic outlook. Um, what how, are you open every day for for the with the restaurant, or is it just the weekends mainly? Or no, no, we, we've we're open. Uh, I, I've been a restaurateur for twenty. I think it's twenty three or twenty four years. Would you believe it's mm. and it's 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 a a hard thing to do, but I try mm. to and mostly employ really good people, and so I just leave it to them to run. Mm. Um, so we we're open Wednesday to Sunday, so lunch every day um, of those five days, mm-hmm. and we're open Saturday nights as well. We have in the past opened on Friday nights, and we, we're probably going to go back to opening Friday nights, but. Uh, during COVID, sort of, um, you know, created difficulties for hospitality, as you know. And one of the things we did was to sort of cut back our hours a bit. And Friday nights was the one we decided to to cut. But uh, demand is seems to be coming back. It's uh, we were very busy That's yesterday great. and, and mm-hmm. last night. And uh, but the, the economy is still a bit tricky at the moment. So I think everybody's holding their breath and watching a little bit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But just oh, just further on on the restaurant, uh, so I was there celebrating my birthday last year in May and had an, an amazing lunch um, uh, at your restaurant. And it was you know, with my husband and I, we were just absolutely blown away. But what we also really loved, apart from as Simon mentioned, it's just this gorgeous aspect. I'm actually looking at your website right now and the view is just so beautiful. 
but it's, it's mm. such a nice relaxed wine tasting experience beforehand you know so i think we booked in for lunch at like 1 30 or 2 o'clock we're like okay well let's do a tasting half an hour before and just the, the varieties the range of varietals that we could taste um also the the, the price point you know, mid mm. mid twenties for for some of these gorgeous wines. You know, we're for Mornington. You know, Mornington is you know quite renowned for the wines are uh, you know a, a little bit more pricey than a lot of other areas. And it was it was actually quite refreshing to be able to be tasting so many lovely wines, such an affordable price point, and of course all, across all the different ranges. And um and I agree, you employ very very good people in both the restaurant and uh, and tasting it. They they just mm. gave a really relaxed, gorgeous uh, intro to everything, and it was um. You know, nothing, nothing stuffy, no. So it's just beautiful. And then you sit down to this amazing five-course degustation and you kind of go, where did that come from? So uh, you're doing something really good there. Yeah, that's great. If I could sort of, James, who is my cellar door manager, he does a great job. And we, we've sort of refined um, with bookings as well. So we, we make sure that people coming to the restaurant have an opportunity to to be looked after at the cellar door and not, not sort of, pushed out by people that happen to walk in. Uh, I yeah, think that's, that's important. important. Um, and so the people coming to our restaurant generally know about our wine and like our wine. So they're, they're our prime targets for um, giving them a good wine experience as, as you had, Jill. So, uh, mm. And from a chef point of view, I've got a young chef, Nick McGonagall is his name, and he's uh, he came to us oh, about... 18 months ago, and he, he'd worked at Society before he came here. He'd been to London and worked at the Ledbury in London, which is a very famous restaurant, and uh, he's he's doing a great job here for us. It's uh, So we, we're really pleased with uh, how the restaurant's uh, travelling at the moment. Mm. And So you say Jamie – sorry, no, so you have Jamie in Celador, but James, you've got uh, – so James, and you've got Jamie, your son, who's actually the winemaker. Is that right? That's right, that's right, yes. We've got a few yep. James here. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, okay, James, so I was just trying he's, He took over the winemaking. Or he finished his wine science in 2012 and worked with a couple of other winemakers for a few years. He, he didn't feel straight out of university he was ready to take over here, so we had a couple of other winemakers. Um, he took over in 2016, and since so that's seven, eight years ago, and since then he's been doing a, a fantastic job. Mm, he's yeah. elevated our wines even well beyond where I had them, which uh, is a great feeling to have as a as a father and a yeah. business owner. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. It's um, well, you, they always um, you know, always rate highly in in you know Halliday's book and and um. And uh, do, do you enter into the the show circuit that much, the wine the wine show? Uh, yes. Um, that, in fact, there's, there's a couple of sort of ways people can build their reputations, and some some avoid wine shows for fear of uh, not not succeeding. Back in the yeah. early days, I'm, I'm saying back in the '90s, I decided well, why not put your wine in wine shows and just, just learn from what you see and go to as many of the tastings at those wine shows as you can yeah. and just just refine your own style based on your what how you see your wine against, so you're benchmarking against everybody else. And I've continued to do that ever since. And uh, I think there's, there's no negatives come out of wine shows. It's Everything is positive, but not everybody sort of looks at it that way. Um, well, I think so. Last, last, yeah. 
Last yeah. year, for example, we we added. Well, I put a few. I've uh, supported the Victorian wine show for well forever. And the last two years, we've won the best Chardonnay, best white, and on one of one of the years, we won the best wine in the show as well from with with a Chardonnay. So. Um, uh, in, in our local wine show, we won the best uh, Pinot last year uh, with a 22 estate Pinot. So white wine shows are good and you can talk about your victories and your gold medals and trophies, but if a wine doesn't do as well, it doesn't matter really. It's, you, you, you review the result and either sort of say, well, yes, the judges got it right or no, they didn't, and uh, yeah, I believe yeah. the wine's better than what they thought. So uh, Yeah, totally. You don't, you don't tell anybody that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. But talking about victories, I mean, you were awarded the best winery in Australia by Halliday in, oh, what, it was before 2010. 2007 it was. There we go, 2007. Now, that's a victory. <laughs> that's right. For a young... Um, a uh, person who uh, started off as a school teacher uh, in his first uh, oh, teacher training year, which is, wow, it was 1974, I went to Frankston High School and uh, one of my supervisors was a, well, I'd ref- cl- I classified him at the time as a wino and that, that meant he didn't get drunk on wine. It meant he was a wine fanatic yeah. uh, in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. And I'd never met anybody like that at that stage. And uh, he he just pricked an interest in... The very next weekend, I went up to Osaka's Winery in central Victoria, near shout-out to Bill. Tiny little family, Hungarian family-run winery. They sold all their wine in bulk, and I remember buying several 20-litre containers of wine and bottled it up at home the following weekend, and suddenly I'd... I'd Sprung or, or sparked an interest in wine yeah, that's become my life journey ever since. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing how something like that happens. How, how long were you school teaching for? Uh, Twenty-one years. Yeah, right. I had nearly a full career in teaching, but I taught for the last 10, 10 years. Uh, I'd bought this property, and I was trying to establish the winery and get it going, and but remaining as a full-time school teacher as well because yeah, I, I had no finance behind me. I had no money. So mm. I just, every every dollar I made out of a sale of a bottle of wine just went back into buying a piece of equipment or a new barrel or something like yeah. that, and it was very, very hard yakker in the early days. Mm. But uh, Well, speaking of yeah. the early days when you were putting your Pinot in, for instance, um, we've had a question from Christopher um, about... Um, particularly about your home block, um, what clones um, did you put in there? Um, when I started, I had uh, not a lot of knowledge on clones of Pinot, would you mm. believe? Um, and Mornington was just just in the early stages of beginning. So I went to Nat White, who was at Main Ridge, and just tried to say, what do you think, Nat? Um, you've got... you've You've done well with your wines so far. Can I um, can I pick up some of your prunings in your vineyard and plant them at my place? Mm. And he said, yes, of course. And he said, I've got three clones here. I've got G5 V15, D2V5, which are Davis clones from America. Well, they, they were developed in America. Uh, and MV6, which is a classic uh, mm. clone in Australia. So... G5 V15 happened to be closest to his gateway and I went over with my trailer and walked up and down the roads, picked up his prunings, 
uh, brought them back to Paringa, cut them into sticks that were sort of about nine inches long, planted them directly into the vineyard, would you believe? I put two side by side in case one didn't grow. Uh, they all grew. Uh, and a couple of years later, I had quite a bit of difficulty growing, digging out the weaker of the two, but I was able to pass them on to friends who planted them in their vineyards and other places. And uh, that's how I started in a very extremely basic uh, manner and knew not much about clones. Wow. Ask me about clones now, and I can tell you <laughs> lots of new clones that we've we've been planting even recently. But uh, back then, it was pretty basic. That's a fantastic story. I love that. <laughs> it, is. It's, it is quite nice to know. You know wine wasn't running in your veins. It was more beer or geography or, or other things, and then you, you turn your hand to it, and then you and your son, you know, a couple of decades later producing some of, like, the most beautiful wines. So um, so just talk about your Shiraz for a bit. Uh, Shiraz is not, you know, necessarily planted by everyone down in Mornington, um, but you, you chose to uh, – and your Shiraz is gorgeous – you chose to do it on the basis of a trying a was it a, a 1980s Sevilla State Shiraz and it kind of opened your eyes to making a cool climate Shiraz. That's, that's exactly right. Yes, it's um, uh, I've never forgotten that. I think it was a 1980 Shiraz and I had it in about 83, so it was, it was a bit before or a year or two before I planted here. But it was when I was thinking about it and what what would I what varieties would I plant. And I remember going around to, I went to Gary Crittenden, who was at Dramana State. I went to Nat at um, uh, Main Ridge and asked them what would they plant. And, and I said, I've got this idea of planting Shiraz. I've tasted this unbelievable wine from the Yarra Valley. And they said, oh, no, I wouldn't plant that. It's, it, uh, it won't ripen. It's, uh, it's a very late ripening variety and... Yeah. You know, Mornington, Mornington is Pinot and Chardonnay country, not, not Shiraz. And um, yes. I thought about it and thought, well, I'm going to be different. I'll plant <laughs> half an acre and let's the vines in front of the restaurant and I'll just see how it goes. And uh, it was Good the best decision I've ever made. Yes, it was uh, our Shiraz have won probably just as many awards as our, as our Pinots. Um, yeah. And, do, you, uh, do you think in part that amphitheatre aspect of the vineyard um, – Make, keeps it sort of a little bit warmer or helps? It, yes, it does, and, yeah. it, and it helps, yes. And one thing I learned very early on, uh, Shiraz, all, all my vineyard in back in the 80s were planted to own roots. We weren't, we, yeah. phylloxera wasn't the issue that it is now. So we planted everything. Um, we either grew the vines ourselves in our veggie garden or we bought them from nurseries and they, they, they propagated them just by planting them out and growing the roots on, on the vines themselves, from their own roots. And Shiraz was an extremely vigorous variety. It's known, known for that. And um, our red, rich red volcanic soil up here, which my vineyard was an old orchard, and so it's got very rich soil, and the vines just took off and grew like you wouldn't believe. And so I had a vigour problem when they were only two years old. And my, I guess my geographic knowledge and interest and my farming background with my parents made me think I've got to do something about this. So mm. uh, I, I read what I could um, and came up with the lyre trellis that we have here now, which you can't dig it fine out or if you dig it out of the ground, you, you, you're going to set it back big time. So mm. once you've made the decision to plant them, um, you, you have to then work with what you've got. 
And so I put the lyre trellis system, which was doubling the canopy area, and it was based on the Shiraz, which was the vigorous variety that was causing me problems. And uh, it allowed us to grow fruit in balance, and every, the vines came into balance once they were given more room to grow. And uh, that, again, was part of the, the magical um, sort of solution. I remember putting a Shiraz in the Yarra Valley Wine Show in 1990. That was the first fruit that we got off once we'd converted to the lyre. We'd won a gold medal in the Yarra Valley Wine Show, and I thought, well, I'm going to win it here, so I'm going I'm to keep with, keep going with this. And yeah. I converted all yeah. the varieties to lyre on, at Baringa. And you still that's how you do it now, still? That's how we do it now, yeah. yeah. We. Yes, we haven't changed and won't change. I'm, I'm planting new vineyards. We planted an eight-acre vineyard on one of our other sites this year, and we've planted that sort of relatively close. Planted, we're not we're not going down the lyre system there because just because of the expense in running it. And uh, I think uh, now we're planting on rootstock, so the vines are less vigorous, so we can bring them in closer, uh, have rows much closer together, and uh, grow, grow the fruit that way. When will you start um, vintage? You must be pretty um, close. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh, who I get fruit from from his vineyard, believes it's going to be uh, in the last week in February. So that's that's pretty early. He's he's a he's a scientist who studies things, and he's been saying right from sh- uh, shooting this year or last year when it happened, the beginning of the season. Uh, that this was going to be a very early season because his vines shot early. Mm. And the markers through the growing season, he's kept on saying this is the earliest season I've seen in 20 years. Um, and he's sticking to that, although summer has ended up a little cooler than normal, but I believe the vines are still ticking away. And mm. uh, so it's, it's going to be an early season here for mm. sure. Okay, cool. Well, I've got one last question. Um, the Riesling, where are you getting that from? Is that uh, That's from our Callanans Road vineyard, which is where we planted the new vineyard. We planted the last block there this year. Yep. So that was that was a vineyard planted by Peter Hollick back in the 80s. Uh, it was one of the very early vineyards down here, and he, he owned Tux Ridge, or he began in Tux oh, yeah? Ridge. Right. Um, and, uh, so is it on some he, higher ground? It's his high, yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a mag- it's in it's the end of Cullinan's Road, and it looks over Western Port Bay and straight at Phillip Island. So the views from the the house mm. on the property are incredible. Mm. But the the vineyard, the block where the Riesling is, is over the hill on the north side. So it's similar to Beringa here. Yep. Um, it's sort of um, it's protected, um, and we've got some very good Pinot and and a Mudgee clone Chardonnay block that. Isn't, there's no other ones on the peninsula because Peter or his advisors brought this clone from New South Wales and it's one of our, our best sources of Chardonnay as well. But uh, the Riesling's there. We've got three acres of Riesling and we, we netted that yesterday. So uh, mm. the crop is looking quite good in the Riesling too, uh, which is pleasing. Mm. 
Good to know we're also spruiking a little bit of the awesome Chardonnays from New South Wales there. Uh, but that, no, that's really interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. We'll definitely be getting you back on um, back on again. And thank you for uh, producing such gorgeous wines and handing good brains down to your son and uh, and the restaurant. I can't wait to get back there. Simon, we should, yeah, uh, yeah, we, should come, we should do you it. Come back, Jill. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh... Yeah. And wine, wine is one of those, or the wine industry is one of those fantastic industries where families can keep it within their family structure and pass on to the next generation. It's happened with mm-hmm. the Crittenden's. There's, there's a few few families down here that have been able to manage to do that. And, I mean, if we look at Henschke's and places like that, Crikey's, they've been going for multiple yeah. multiple generations. And uh, yeah. I'm hopeful, you know, in a hundred years' time that you know Pringle will still be here and it'll we'll be up to. I've got three grandsons now, and yep. uh, well, let's hope one of those uh, wants to get involved and and the the business and tradition continues. Yeah, as you sure sit back in your retirement, drinking wine made by yourself and then also your son. <laughs> yeah, I'm far from retired yet. I'm working just as I'm going to go back out and get in my tractor. As soon as this interview is finished, oh, and uh, keep preparing uh, blocks for for netting, which is this coming week. So, uh, well, good luck with vintage. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully the weather gods are kind. Yeah, I, mm. I, I'm hoping they are this year as well. Yes. yes. Okay. Thank <laughs> thanks, you very Lindsay. much. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. Okay. Good luck with. Bye-bye. Thank you.